One of my favorite 80s movies is The Karate Kid. How many of you enjoy The Karate Kid? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I love the scenes right in the, kind of in the middle of the movie when Daniel wants to learn how to, uh, he wants to learn how to do karate. And I was trying to think of the right way to say that. And, um, and so Mr. Miyagi uh, takes him to a car and says, wax the car. Wax on, wax off, right? And then he gives him a paintbrush and says, paint the fence. And he paints the fence. And, and then he gives him a sander, or not really an electric sander, but some sandpaper and says, sand the floor, sand the floor. And so he's doing all of these things. He's getting frustrated. And then finally, Mr. Miyagi shows up after going fishing. He says, hey, you didn't tell me you were going fishing. And he's angry because he's had to do all these household chores. And he says, daniel son, come here. And as Daniel's son comes there, he tells him to uh, wax on and wax off and to paint the fence and to sand the floor as he begins to attack him. And then all of a sudden it dawns on Daniel that that's why he had me do these chores. There was a purpose in me sanding the floor and painting the fence and waxing the car. And then he beats Johnny in the end and that's just great, right? You know, there are many things in our lives that we don't understand their purpose. And one of those is Christians, when we look to the law, we're confused about it. We, we memorize the Ten Commandments, and then we try to live by those, and then we hear that we're under grace, not law. So what good is the law? Does the law hold any purpose? Am I to abide by the law or am I to live under grace? And this is the conversation that's taking place in Galatians. So I want to bring this to life as if we're sitting here with the churches in Galatia and we're receiving this letter for the very first time. And there's Judaizers around us who are saying, okay, you have Christ, but you must also have the law. So it is grace, it's Christ, and it is works. You have to work to maintain this salvation or else you don't have salvation. And so you need to follow the ceremonial laws. You need to follow the laws that were set in place for Moses and the people. These things we continue to do. And if you fail at these things, then you fail Christ. And this stirred up the churches in Galatia because Paul didn't teach them this. He didn't teach them these things. And so he writes to them. And as he's writing to them, he's saying, hey, you are justified by faith by faith. And so in the last few weeks when we've been looking at freedom in Christ, this is part three today, but in part one, we said that there was the first mountain and that was Abraham. And when Abraham received the promise, it was before the law ever came into being. And then the next mountain was Moses. And that's what we looked at last week. And we said, the law brings forth a curse. We're all cursed underneath the law. Our sin is exposed, and, and Moses is on top of that mountain. And then we said we would get to the third mountain, which is Jesus Christ, and, and that's the mountain that we're, we're mostly looking at today. But I want to I use this illustration, and I want to go back to Abraham here. When the promise was made to Abraham, it was by faith. He believed God. God said, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. Abraham believed him. 
It wasn't that there was something special about Abraham, that he was just some righteous man in and of himself that we read back in the Old Testament and go, man, I wish I could be like Abraham. I wish I could have that type of faith. No, it was fully the grace of God upon Abraham. And so he's the first mountain. So as you're looking forward from Abraham to the coming promise, the offspring, Jesus, you look through Moses. And here's Moses sandwiched right in the middle of Abraham and Jesus. So why is Moses even here? Why even the law? And we said last week it was because what the law exposes is that we're sinners. We have sinned before a holy God. All of us have failed. That's all of us. Just one law. And you failed all of the law. But we, we failed many areas of the law. I think we can confess that today. And so do you say with, with Moses, do you say, okay, now that we're at Moses, what happened with Abraham doesn't matter? Or does what happened with Abraham matter? This is very important for you to hear today. Does it matter with Abraham what happened or with Moses? Which one's better? And then here comes the third mountain, Jesus Christ. And so I hope that when we're finished today, you'll be able to look at these three mountains. And when it comes to grace and law, you'll be able to go, that makes sense. That makes sense to me. And so we, this is our main question today. And through that, we'll have a few points. But if freedom is found only in Christ, then what good is the law? Do you know how to answer that question? I hope you will when we're finished today. So follow with me. We're gonna look back in verse 15. Our first point we're seeing here is that the promise cannot be annulled or ratified. Verse 15. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. So here's what Paul is saying. Let's get on a human level here. Let me talk to you Galatians uh, horizontally because we've been going vertically looking at our relationship, us and God. Let's, let's kind of look at this horizontally for a minute. When you make a covenant, when you have an agreement, once it's made, you don't annul it. You don't end it. You don't reject it. You don't sever it. Once that covenant has been made, it is made, it is established. I mean, this is what man knows to man. This is the horizontal relationship. So if you guys get this and understand that even then you don't add to it once you've already made the covenant, you don't come back later and say, hey, I wanna, I wanna put some more things in here and I'll make a few amendments. Um, he's saying that doesn't happen. I mean, so he uses this human example, much like Jesus did. I mean, when Jesus was here on earth, he looked to his disciples in Matthew 7, verse 11. We read this account, he says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So what do we gather from Paul taking it to this human level? He's saying, look, if, if you guys make covenants with each other and you know that you don't break them or that you don't add to them, then how much more with God? How much more when God makes a covenant is it established forever? When we look at Matthew 7, that example there, he was saying, hey, when you call upon the Father, he'll give you the things you need. How many of you, when your son says, hey, give me a fish, we'll give him a serpent, or give me a piece of bread, we'll give him a stone. He says, no, you wouldn't do that. Even in your wicked hearts, you wouldn't do that. 
how much more the Father? And so in this case, in Galatians, he's saying, hey, how much more the Father? But, but let's look at the covenant. The word translated covenant deserves careful treatment. This word, diatheke, which is, in its verb form means this, to place between two. To place between two, that's a covenant. It refers to the act of one of two individuals placing between them something to which he obligates himself. And this covenant is speaking of God and Abraham. V says this, it refers to an agreement in which God enters into the covenant relations with Abraham and in which he promises to justify him on the basis of his faith in the atonement, which he himself would someday offer. So how did this covenant play out? God told Abraham what was gonna happen. He was gonna be the father of many nations. It was gonna be an offspring. And Abraham says, okay, I believe you. I believe you. And they made a covenant. Well, when the covenant took place, they cut the animal, put it in half, and God walks through. But where is Abram when this is happening? He's asleep. Abraham is asleep when this covenant is being made. Shouldn't he be awake? I mean, come on, if two people are making a serious covenant here that deals with the eternity of men's souls, should Abraham not be awake? Why is he asleep? Because God covenanted with himself. This was a covenant in which God says, I will fulfill these things. It is a promise. It is sure. Abraham, you don't have to be on the other side to uphold this covenant. Abraham, you don't have to be on the other side to see this thing through. I will make sure that it happens. This is grace. This was grace in the Old Testament. This was God coming to man. In fact, if you look throughout all of Scripture, God always comes to man first. And God comes to Abraham. And he covenants with him. And so this agreement made by God while Abram was asleep does not confuse us when we then see the law. It makes perfect sense. The law came centuries later. It doesn't invalidate that covenant that was made with Abraham. That covenant holds true. So what about this middle mountain? What about Moses and the people? Why do we have this? This, this law was given over four centuries later. In fact, from the time of Abraham to the time of the Israelites coming out of Egypt was 645 years. And you'll see in just a moment that it says 430 years. And you're going to wonder, is that a contradiction in the Bible? Aha, uh -huh, I knew there was contradictions in the Bible. We found one. No, there's no contradiction there. Because if you trace it from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, and to when Jacob and his family go down into Egypt, when they are there, there starts the 430 years until this takes place. So he's saying, hey, this covenant's been made. You cannot annul this. You cannot invalidate or reject it. God would no, not go back and invalidate the covenant made with Abraham by adding another condition to be met. Because as we said, when you make a covenant, once you make it, all the conditions are up front. 
So it's not that once Abraham is gone, then God's coming back and saying, hey, that whole covenant thing, I need to add some more things to it. I need to add a law. Let's add a law. Let's beef this thing up. No, God would be going back on his promise if the law brought salvation. Salvation has always been by faith. He would be going back on the covenant. He would reject the covenant. That would mean that God made a mistake or that God came up with a better idea. And both of those are wrong because God's never wrong and God doesn't come up with new ideas because God knows everything. I mean, we come up with new ideas all the time. We go, aha, that's a good idea. I need to write that down so I don't forget it. That's not God. God knows all things. God has always known all things. God doesn't have to look to the future to see what's gonna happen to learn his sovereign will and plan. He knows it. He already knows it. He knows all things. There's a difference between a covenant and a contract. And unfortunately, I think we're all too familiar more with contracts these days than we are with covenants. Contracts you can break. A covenant you're to never break. But with contracts, you can reject it completely. Or you can impose new conditions which are diametrically opposed to its spirit or purpose. I think that we can see this in our marriages. We, we make a, a contract up front. And then once we get into the marriage, we start adding more conditions. Oh, well, if I'm going to stay with you, then you're going to have to do these things. No, you, you, you are to covenant up front all that you're going to do. And your promises are made there. And you uphold those promises that you make to each other on that altar before God. That is a covenant. I know that strikes at the heart of many but that doesn't mean that we escape this or don't look at this. This is a covenant. I want you to understand the importance of this covenant that God made with Abraham that it would always remain. And once it has been ratified, this word ratified means to confirm solemnly or publicly. The commentary goes on to say it is in this perfect tense which indicates that ratification is a past matter and that at present the matter is closed and established. Therefore, just as in human relationships or human relations, an agreement solely ratified cannot be changed unless by mutual consent of the parties involved. So in this divine relationship. So it's been made public. It's been solidified. It's been made certain. And then we see in verse 16, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say into offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is, say it with me. Oh, you weren't ready. Okay, hold on. You, and to your offspring, who is? Christ. Christ. There it is. The offspring is Christ. This is huge. This is a big deal when Paul was writing to the Galatians, because the Judaizers were saying, we're the offsprings. We come from Abraham. We have this lineage. We uphold the law. This is us. We come from Abraham. We uphold the law. So you must uphold the law now, you Gentiles. If you're in Christ, you got to uphold the law as well. We are his offsprings. He said, no, 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 we're not talking about offsprings, plural. We're talking about something singular, offspring, Jesus Christ. So let's read it again. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to Christ. That promise was made to Christ there when it was made to Abraham. All this would be fulfilled. You're saying, where's Jesus in the Old Testament? On every page. 
on every page. And here he is, to the offspring. The Jews were the offsprings. Jesus is the offspring. He is the one promised. And understand this, the promise came first. The promise came first, verse 17. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. So what do we see this played out? Exodus 12, 40. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. There they became slaves. They were under the authority of the Egyptians. And it was only when God came to them through Moses, a mediator, a man-made mediator, that they were delivered out of Egypt and out of their slavery. But God saved men on the basis of faith without works since the time of Adam, which was 2,500 years before the law was given. So we can even go back further before the law. I mean, people used to live during that time. You realize that? People used to live before the law was ever given. They didn't speak of a law. They didn't know of a law. They didn't know the Ten Commandments and all the other commandments that came with it. Their only hope would be in God's provision, having faith in him. Jesus has always been the way to the Father. Amen? But I know that even among us today, many think that the law saved people. I asked that question to somebody yesterday. Somebody yesterday that I thought when I asked them, they would say, it was Christ. But as long as they've been in church, I mean, for a very long time, they've been in church. They've been in church pretty much their whole life. So for 60 years, I asked this person this question, how did people in the Old Testament get saved? She said, the law? No. The law has never saved man. The law doesn't save us. It came after the promise. The law was in force from Moses to Christ. That's 1,500 years of time of history. And that's as long as it's been enforced. From Moses to Christ, 1,500 years. So what we gather from this is that the promise is better than the law. Martin Luther used this illustration of a, a man of great wealth who adopts a young boy as heir to his fortune. He brings him into the home, he gives him everything. Years later, the old man asks the young boy to do something for him. Now he's grown up into a young man and the young man does it. And the young man goes around and, and says that then after he's done this great work that he deserves the inheritance by his obedience to the old man's request. Now that's foolish. He was adopted into the family. He was given the inheritance up front. He was asked to go do some things. And when he did these things, he says, now I deserve the inheritance. No, you were given the inheritance. And it's the same way with Christians, Jew or Gentile. You have been adopted into the family of God. We're going to look at that next week more, but you've been brought into the family of God. So it makes no sense to say, I've got to do, I've got to do, I've got to do, I've got to do. Works, 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 works. Why? So that I can earn this salvation. Or so that I can prove 
that I'm worthy of salvation. You say, Brian, I don't believe that. How many times have you said, there's no way I can be a Christian. There's no way Jesus Christ saved me. There's no way. And you go back and you say, admit, believe, confess. Okay, Lord, I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe in Jesus Christ. I confess. Okay, maybe I need to get baptized again. And then years later, you come back and say, there's no way I can be a Christian. There's, there's no way I need to admit, believe, and confess. Did I say that prayer the right way? I mean, did I say it in the right order? I can't remember. Does anybody, hey, anybody, you start calling family members, hey, were you there the day that I got saved? Do you remember the day that I got saved? Can you tell me the words that I said? I mean, was it true and genuine? Do you know? What's all that based on? Your works. Not your words, your works. Do you have faith in Jesus Christ that he died on the cross for you and that he shed his blood to cover your sins and to make you a new creation? Do you believe this? Do you believe that he did indeed die and rise from the grave and that he is alive forevermore and that God is gonna send him back to receive you to himself and that you will reign with him, in him for all of eternity? Do you believe these things? Do you believe it to be true? Do you wholeheartedly believe it? Make the good confession. Follow Jesus. So oftentimes, we make it about our works. And that's law-based behavior. And I know what some may be saying, hey, Brian, be careful now. Don't, don't just preach grace and not that we don't understand the commands. We're getting there, okay? But I'm talking about the law right now. The law was given 430 years after the promise. So understand the promise came first, then the law. In verse 18, for if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. So you can hear it with Paul. I mean, he is making them decide right here. He's saying, listen, either it is the promise or it is the law. It can't be promise and law. It can't be both. It's either by promise Faith, or by law, works, but not both. What do we see this covenant based on? God's word, by faith, believing God. Our greatest hope in salvation is in God's word. It's in God's word. If God were ever to lie, if God were ever to sin, we're doomed. And through his word, we know that that is impossible. He cannot do those things. But if he did, we can't trust his word. But because he has never lied, because he has never sinned, because he is the truth, we trust his word. We trust what he says. We trust what he did. We trust that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father. Salvation must rest either on the law or the promise, but salvation cannot rest on both. Our works are sure to fail us, but his word holds true. Now that I think we can say amen to. Our works fail us, right? Yeah. Yeah, we fail. We do fail. But God does not fail in his promise. You know, it's very convicting when my son comes to me and says, Dad, you said we were going to go play outside, or you said that we were going to go to the park, or you said we were going to go do these things. And I catch myself, yeah, yeah, son, in a minute, we're gonna get there. Yeah, I, I know we'll, we'll get there. I gotta do these other things first. You know what I did? I just added conditions to what I told him I was gonna do. I just added conditions. 
hey, let me finish this first, let me finish this first, then I'm gonna do what I told you to do. God doesn't do that. And I'm grateful that he doesn't do that. And you know what, when we get that concept, that's how it helps in every area of our lives because when we look to a faithful father, we learn. We learn from him and how to treat others. That's where grace is enacted. That's where grace changes our lives. Isaiah 40, verse eight, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. There are a lot of things that are happening in culture today. A lot of things that are popping up. And, and there are a lot of times when people say, you know what, the Bible's not relevant anymore. I mean, it's kind of old school. I mean, I, I disagree fully. I'd love to have that conversation with you if, you if you really believe that. Let's sit down and talk about that, okay? But there are many people who say, this doesn't matter anymore. This is God's word. This word will forever be upheld. Forever. Everything else will fade. Every one of us in this room will not be here in 100 years. I mean, maybe there's a baby that's gonna live to 100 and you'll still be rocking and going and, and leading in the church here, okay? But we're all gonna be gone. Who's gonna be here behind us? There's gonna be other people. Who's gonna be here behind us? Hopefully people we've made disciples and, and following Jesus Christ and, and that carries on and carries on and carries on. But we're gonna be gone. Y'all are picking on my shirt today, saying I look like I work at a Chick-fil-A. I get it, you all right? I'm just trying to be bright and happy for you, all right? This shirt's gonna fade. I'm gonna fade, you're gonna fade, we're all gonna fade. The things that you hold important are gonna fade unless it is on God's word. May that put all things in perspective for you today. And so in verse 18, he says, for if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. This word gave is from harizma. It is a specialized word. It denotes not merely a gift, but a gift which is given out of the spontaneous generosity of the giver's heart with no strings tied to it. Harizma. He gave it to Abraham. No strings. Hey, Abraham, uphold this covenant now. Don't break it or it's done for. Everybody behind you will be done for. No, no strings attached. The Greek word for, for grace has the same root and the same meaning. So grace is not an undertaking based upon terms of mutual agreement, but upon the free act of one who gives something, expecting no pay for it. So there is a free act within salvation. It's God's free act to bring salvation to the unbeliever. That's grace. No strings attached. Why do I deserve salvation? You don't. I don't. What can I do to stay saved? Nothing. You can do nothing to stay saved. But I gotta do, I gotta do, I gotta do. You better do these things, man. If you don't do these things, then God's gonna be disappointed with you. God's gonna put you in the corner. Watch out for the lightning bolt. Here it comes, here, here, here it comes, right? And we live our lives like that. Going, you know what? I hope I don't sin right before I get in a car wreck because then maybe I'll stand before God and he won't let me into heaven. It's works, 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 works. It's absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous, Christian. When we look here and we see that Abraham came first, it was faith. It was a promise. It was all God. Your salvation is all God. Amen? Let's get louder. Amen? Come on, we gotta believe this. 
Because too often, I think we, we meet God halfway. We have this in our minds that we're meeting God halfway. We're, we're upholding these conditions too. No, he upholds it 100%. That's your only hope. If the covenant was based on law, then that would require us to hold up our end of the agreement and God would be obligated based on the covenant to give salvation to any sinner who would earn it by obedience to the law. But that's silly because none of us could ever earn it to begin with. The verb gave is in the perfect tense, which speaks of a past completed act having present results, something that happened in the past, present results. The past act of God giving the inheritance on the basis of a promise has present results, presence to the writer. So when he's writing to them, he's saying, hey, this past act that happened with Abraham, present results right now, our salvation in Christ. And it's the same impact today. What Christ did on the cross in our past has present results today. Get this. We've lived over 2,000 years since the cross. But however you want to view however this earth is and everything you want to go with it, but at least 4,000 years before the cross, people were looking to it. So there are more people that have lived on this earth that were looking forward to the cross than who have looked back to the cross. All of those people who were looking forward to the promise, to the offspring, were not saved by the law, just as all of us who look back on the promise are not saved by the law. God has remained consistent in his grace throughout all of history. All of history. So then it leads to this question, right? Why then the law? So why then the law? I mean, why, why do we have the law? Why just put it in the middle? Why? Paul asked that question, verse 19. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring would come to whom the promise has been made. And it was put in place through the angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promise of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. So real quickly, three uses of the law, the threefold purpose of the law right here. Number one, a mirror. It, yes, it can act as a mirror. That's not the only way in which it acts, but it can be a mirror. What does it do? It reflects our sin. It shows us our real transgressions. It reveals the transgressions of man. We are on the wanted poster. That's what happens when we look into the law, our face on the wanted poster. An award, reward, find this man. He deserves death. That's what the law says. That's the mirror. It reveals our transgressions, which means that word transgressions means to step beyond. It means to trespass. We have trespassed against God's holiness. It's the act of a person stepping beyond a fixed limit into a forbidden territory. I mean, we do this all the time. I mean, you're walking in a store and, and you see on the wall, it says, wet paint, do not touch. I think I'll touch it. <laughs> Why? Because it said, don't touch it. We wanted to see if it was really wet. Hey, don't eat from the tree. Okay, I think I'll eat from the tree. All of us fall into this behavior. The, the law brings reality of our sin, our death, and the wrath of God. 
And this is what the people, this is what, this is what the people said when they heard the law. Exodus 20, 19, and Moses, they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. No, 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 listen, listen. Moses, we're cool. We don't want to deal with God. We don't want to deal with him. Why? Because he, he tells us to obey our parents. He tells us to have no other gods before him, to make no idols, not to covet other people's things. We, we know we fail that. Do not bring us to God. Keep us from God. That was the law. That's what the law does when you truly see that in the law you have transgressed against God. Keep me away from God. He's going to kill me. And you know what? That's true for all who are in sin separated from Christ. And this is right because he is holy and just and all of us had trespassed. We have sinned. John Stott says this, no man has ever appreciated the gospel until the law has first revealed him to himself. It is only against the inky blackness of the night sky that the stars begin to appear. And it is only against the dark background of sin and judgment that the gospel shines forth. So until you look to the law and see how much of a sinner you are, there's no appreciation for the gospel. I remind you, Christian, please, when you share your testimony with someone, Avoid this phrase. Well, you know, I really wasn't that bad when I was younger. I mean, I was actually a pretty good kid. And then you began to say, I, I got saved, I got baptized, and things have been pretty good. That's a testimony of someone who has not looked thoroughly into the law. No, oh, you're wretched. I am wretched. The law confirms this. And so it is a mirror to confirm these things, but it is also civil use. It was to restrain the wicked. We see God's common grace through the law here. We're not as bad as we can be, okay? When you say the world's pretty messed up right now, when you say it's pretty messed up, okay? Talking about some missiles and nukes and where's it gonna go? What's gonna happen? Man, we're just gonna all go down together. What's, what? It, it could happen. If man was as bad as he could be, we'd all destroy each other in this place. Like that. God sustains. One way he does this through the law. A civil use. Martin Luther said this, the first purpose of the law, accordingly, is to restrain the wicked. The devil gets people into all kinds of scrapes. There God instituted governments, parents, laws, restrictions, and civil ordinances. At least they help to tie the devil's hands so that he does not rage up and down the earth. The civil restraint by the law is intended by God for the preservation of all things, particularly for the good of the gospel that it should not be hindered too much by the tumult of the wicked. So for a civil use. Most people will say, don't do this or don't do that. And you say, where'd you get that idea from? goes back to the law. Whether they realize it or not, it goes back to the law. And then it's a guide. The law is an usher to lead us to the way grace. The law reveals what is good and pleasing to God. 
So that is a good use for it. Yes. So we'll know what is good and pleasing. We'll know what his commands are. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Yes, you, Christian, have been created for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we need to be aware of what these things are. But a law that brings forth life simply does not exist. Let's not confuse it. Yes, we can learn from it. We can see the commands of God but it does not bring us life. The scripture imprisons every man for his sin, whether man believes in the Bible or not. What do you see when you go out in this community? People who are imprisoned to their sin. And the law confirms it. The law confirms it. I love again what John Stott said. If I could have just read to you, John Stott today, his message or commentary on this, I think we all just would have been blessed, called it a day, but I just took a couple of excerpts out, so here's another one. Not until the law has bruised and smitten us will we admit our need of the gospel to bind up our wounds. Not until the law has arrested and imprisoned us will we pine for Christ to set us free. Not until the law has condemned and killed us will we call upon Christ for justification in life. Not until the law has driven us to despair of ourselves will we ever believe in Jesus. Not until the law has humbled us even to hell will we turn to the gospel to raise us to heaven. Are you aware of these things? Are you aware of these things today? Are you aware of your great need of the gospel? of what Christ has accomplished because of the promise that was made beforehand. Because if the law exposes our sin, then is there anyone who stands sinless? There's only one. That is Jesus Christ, our mediator. And you know what? You may say to yourself, I can do this. No, 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 I don't need Jesus. I can do this. I'm good enough to abide by the law and please God. No, you're not and I'm not. Please do not fall to that lie of the enemy that you're good enough to get by before God. Say, how do you know that? I know that because there's only one Christ Jesus, and you're not him. Neither am I. But my hope's in him. Is your hope in Christ? Is your hope in the offspring? Just to go through this, that the law was our guardian. He held it captive like military guards. We could not escape it. And the guardian was like a tutor, a tutor that was a slave, a slave of the family. But he, he was a tutor to the children, but he was a harsh tutor. I mean, in many times when you look at pictures of the past, it shows that there's a rod in the tutor's hand. I mean, it was rough upon the student. See, we're not under a tutor like that. We're under the Holy Spirit, a good tutor who leads us by the grace of God. So if you want to look to the law, it's kind of like this. It's like using a handsaw to shave. Charles Spurgeon said, a handsaw is a good thing, but not to shave with. I would agree with that. It's good for cutting wood, but not facial hair. And if you put your handsaw to that sort of use, you will wind up losing more than your hair. He goes on to say it's a good thing 
or a good thing is not good out of its place. And yes, the law was good in its place to direct the people for a time period, but it has ended. The law has ended. We live by grace. We can look to the law and understand the commands of God, but it is no longer our master. The promise of God guarantees our salvation. This is it right here. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. This goes back to verse 16. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. So, do you have life in the offspring? Are you living under grace? Or are you condemned by the law? Do you get today that it's by God's grace everything that he brings into this covenant in which our salvation is secure? Say, so what do I do with this, Brian? Do I just go live however I want to? No, if you get this, you don't go live however you want to. If you, if you get this, you're humble to your core. And it drives you to read the word and it drives you to pray and have communion with the Lord daily in prayer, knowing that Christ has paid for your sins. It leads to a life of holiness. We have freedom in Christ if we look to Christ. Are you looking to Christ today? Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together. And Lord, as we once again have been reminded here that the law served a purpose Christ is the only one who could live by that law without failing it. He's the righteous one. He's the offspring. Salvation is only through Christ. I pray that this was clear today to everyone in the room. May we go with this good news. In the times when we do not feel worthy to call upon you, May we just be reminded of this promise that you have made. It's all based on the conditions that you made. That you would send an offspring. So we have life in Christ. Christ alone. It's by faith. May we go out in faith today and penetrate this culture with the good news of Jesus Christ. May we be purified by this good news today. God, continue to work in our hearts as we continue to worship now in Jesus' name, amen.